You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 117 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? Well, I am better than I was last week, Valerie, because that? the school holidays are <laughs> over. <laughs> the school holidays really, really affect you, don't they? Oh, they really do. And, I, you know, I think any parent will tell you they affect you because you just have to reorganise your whole life to yes. incorporate the fact that you've got small people around you all the time. Um, and when you work from home, uh, it's a little bit like I – I had a couple of sick people the week before the school holidays and it's the whole thing of like when you work from home, everyone has their sick days in your place of work Mm. and when you have school holidays, everyone's having their holidays in your place of work and so it just makes it, it just makes, you know, everything more difficult. You have to... You have to plan, you have to focus, and you have to focus on what actually has to be done right now as opposed to kind of, you know, writing things that may not be, you know, anything in particular ever. So it's, yes. it's um, yeah, it's just, it's quite difficult. It's so nice. I absolutely love, 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 love the school holidays because mm. the three, no, the four young boys who live across the road <laughs> and right. – always play on the road, mm-hmm. uh, they, they, that family goes away every single school holidays. So I have 100% peace because they're the only kids sort of of that age who live in this area. Right. And um, they are always making noise on the road, but when it's school holidays, it's just lovely. You wouldn't want to live next door to me, Val. It's certainly not quite, it's not quite here in school terms and it's certainly not quite here in school holidays. <laughs> okay, well, let's move on then to um, to our episode this week. Uh, the first thing we want to do is give a shout-out to Writer46. That's, that's the name, Writer46 from the Hello, USA. Writer46. Yes, Writer46 has left us a review on iTunes. Now, Writer46 has said, very enjoyable and informative. And you know what? I do love the fact that you're listening from the USA. Now, Writer46 says, I thoroughly enjoy this podcast. Not only do I enjoy listening to their cool Australian accents. <laughs> we don't have accents. What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm from the no United States. I'm from the United States. I always learn something new. They have an easy rapport with each other and they cover interesting points. I highly recommend this podcast. And in answer to the title of the podcast, yes, I want to be a writer. Hooray. Hooray. Right place. <laughs> Love it. Thank you so much, Writer46. Really, really, really we appreciate should, it. Val, we should say g'day. Oh, yeah, no. g'day. G'day, mate. G'day, Writer46. There's an <laughs> accent. <laughs> But if you do have 30 seconds to leave us a rating or review on iTunes, we'd really, really appreciate it because it certainly helps us in the rankings on iTunes. But let's move on into the world of writing and publishing and blogging this week, shall we? Mm, let's. I can't wait. Something that I thought you might be interested in, and I haven't got my hands on it yet, Al, but I am very keen to. I'm going to find it and I will send it to you okay, when I do find it. And it is a new documentary that explores the billion-dollar romance novel industry. Oh, it's called. This is just following on from our recent conversation regarding this yes, genre. Yeah, exactly. Cool. It's called Love Between the Covers, mm-hmm. and I think that it's really interesting because it covers the fact that 
it, the romance writing industry, as we have mentioned before, is billion, it's worth billions and billions of dollars. It's one of the most successful genres ever. Some romance writing imprints underpin the publishing of, you know, many other imprints within a major publishing house. Uh, and yet it is often quite derided um, or, or not thought of as proper literature or stuff like that. So I think this this will be a really interesting documentary and exploration into why this is so and also a peek into how the romance writing industry works and why it develops such such a following because sometimes when you're really into it, you're just really into it. You know what mm. I mean? Mm, I do. So I'm very keen to catch it. Apparently, it um, debuted at uh, like some film festivals last year, but it only just became available for on-demand streaming. Not clear yet whether it's available in Australia. I'm going to research that Excellent. and report back and hopefully Excellent. we get to see it. Oh, it sounds quite interesting. I, I, I think, um, I mean, you know. I'm just reading through the article that you've that you forwarded to me regarding this documentary, and um, it looks like it does cover quite a lot because you know the romance industry is obviously not without its problems as well, mm. um, the romance publishing industry, um, and so it does uh, seem to question some of the things, um, some queries around diversity, consent, gender stereotypes, mm. all that kind of stuff, which I think is uh, is also good because I I, I mean you know we're not we're not holding romance up here as the peon of all things that are good in the world no but one thing I will say and this does actually mention uh in this piece and obviously it comes across in the documentary is just how uh open and happy the romance community is like it's vast hmm. but it's a really supportive group of people and I have to say that uh, readers and and writers um I have to say that the uh romance writers festivals that I've been to and I think I've mentioned this before are just the most like happy lovely places I've ever been as a writer because Ooh. everybody's kind of there just sharing their stuff like just it's really it's a really inclusive environment um much more so than some other writers festivals that I have attended so it's an interesting um interesting take but yes I will look forward to to watching the documentary should you track it down for us Val. Mm. I think also uh when it comes to romance writers and them being so inclusive I think Romance writers have a lot more opportunity from a ge- in a geographic sense because a lot of romance is sold on ebook, mm. and therefore they're not fighting for the same piece of pie, say within Australia, because they have the whole world to appeal to. So oh, they do. There's and, a lot more opportunity, and Australian romance authors do incredibly well yeah. on that world stage. Like we. Um, we are very fortunate to have some some fa- fabulous writers who are doing brilliantly and um, they often go over to the uh, Romance Writers of America conference and places like that. They're presenting, they're signing. You know, I follow several of them on social media just simply because I know them. I've met them at various things and, as I said, it's a very friendly bunch. Um, and it's just like they're all having a wonderful time. And, yes, there are boas in some cases. <laughs> mostly as a little bit of a joke but they are there and I love to see them because I honestly feel like what would be what would romance be without a boa or two oh my god okay do you have a boa um well I do actually have one Uh um do you wear it no no what do you think I'm wafting around down here with procrasty pup in my boa yeah why not It'd be quite hilarious, wouldn't it? No, um, I do have one because I remember I was in that stage production that one time that I randomly found myself auditioning for a stage production. <laughs> yeah, um, I have a I have a feather boa from that, a bright red feather boa. I'll wow, let you know. I, I want know. a boa. Where can I get a boa? Um, just at a fancy dress shop. Okay, but I'm... you should get one because I have to say the world looks different when you're wearing a boa. Let yeah. me tell you. Yeah, I'm going to get a blue boa. A blue one? Yeah, why not? Why blue? Like a turquoise blue. All oh, right, to match the writer centre colours. No, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> I want a photo of you in the turquoise boa. Okay. No, no, no. I do. Just so I can wear it at home. Um, <clears throat> okay. All right. So let's move on to an interesting article that was in the Freelancers Union blog or website, and it's called Scientists Discover the Antidote to Writer's Block. So for those of you who are experiencing or have experienced writer's block, guess what? There's a scientific reason for it, according to this group of people, of course. Now, what happened, these psychologists, they recruited a diverse group of writers, some who were blocked 
and some who were not blocked. Mm. And the psychologists found that all of the blocked writers had one thing in common. Want to know what it was? Uh, I am on the edge of my seat. Good. (laughs) They were all unhappy or each unhappy in their own way. So what the scientists then tried to do was try to distinguish what kind of unhappy, if you know what I mean, Mm. and they managed to um, group them into four distinct types. So there was the kind that was anxious and self-critical, so they're plagued by perfection, they think that they can't create things that are good enough, you know, that kind of thing. Even though they can write, that's how they felt. Mm. One another type was they were socially hostile, in and that means they kept thinking um, that their work would be compared unfavorably to others. Right. So it was a very much a comparison thing, or that it may inspire envy in others, which is really interesting. Mm. The third group was they were motivationally impaired. Don't you love that phrase? I do. I do. <laughs> motivationally impaired um and the fourth one is that they were narcissists so they were driven by the need for attention but they were disappointed and angry and you know they 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 found it very hard to to move on because of that so interesting if you are blocked as a writer consider if you if you fit into any of those categories or if you're unhappy in any way and I think it's an interesting thing though because I think at any point in time any writer could be any of these things I mean everybody I mean oh yes I I don't think I've ever suffered from writer's block in my whole life but I, I I relate to feeling all of these things at different times of course maybe not motivational impairment I'm fairly motivationally on track, um, mostly by deadlines. But I I just think um, it's an interesting – yeah, it is an interesting thing. And I think that the tips that they suggest here for writing your way out of a block Mm. are quite interesting. Um, Writing every morning with the morning pages from the artist's way, which we've talked about before, um, which is just writing whatever's in your mind. It's not actually trying to write the thing you're trying to write, which I think is – I actually think that that's one of the biggest problems that people have is this – fixation on writing the thing that they want that they feel they must write when in actual fact writing other things can be the best way to free up that block Mm. it's that sense of if I don't write this I'm not writing anything at all but actually you're probably better off writing something else and coming back to it because it's amazing how much writing something else frees everything up Um, they suggest you create a workspace so that you've actually got a place to do your writing which you know works for some people and doesn't for others I mean I I like my workspace but some people like to work in cafes or do whatever they do Mm. um they suggest you focus on imagery which is an interesting one Mm. and they suggest that you keep at it um and my my fifth tip that I would add to that always for um writer's block is to get moving if you are sitting yes. at your desk and you are struggling and you can't get a sentence out and the words are sticky which I talk about sticky words a lot with write a book with Al um if the words are sticky get up and move and it's amazing how much just you know a walk around the block or a, a just you know pop down and get a coffee do something yeah that breaks that fixation that you're having at that point and if you just allow your brain to kind of keep ruminating quietly in the back on whatever it was that was stopping you Mm. by the time you come back again um, you will often find that you can write the next sentence and sometimes all you've got to do is write the next sentence and you're off yeah Um, so that would be my main tip or or have a shower or or have it or if you're Valerie have a shower (laughs) In your blue feather boa. <laughs> yes, yes, maybe not in the blue feather boa, but I totally agree. I think the going for a walk thing is um, really, really, really useful. And I think that sometimes my team wish that I don't go for walks because I come back and I go, I've got this great idea, we're going to do this. <laughs> Everyone goes, oh. Anyway, let's move on to the next uh, link we've got. It's called Seven Ways to Make Yourself a Better Editor. And I really like this because it's actually from Entrepreneur Magazine. Um, and we'll put the link in the show notes. And, of course, the show notes you can find at soyouwanttobeariter.com.au. But I like this because it's actually not written for writers. It's written for, well, entrepreneurs, presumably, who who do some writing. And so they're really, really st- 
simple. <laughs> Not that I think entrepreneurs need really simple instructions, but it doesn't, it just got, really distills it to seven pretty clear tips. And they are eliminate filler words because there's so many times that you just put in words that just simply don't need to be there, right? Mm -hmm. Number two, split sentences. I love this tip because I see this all the time. I'm editing stuff and there is there are sentences that are just ridiculously way too long and can be so easily split into two sentences or sometimes mm -hmm. three sentences. Number three, remove adjectives and adverbs. Now, that's not necessarily always the case when you're writing fiction, but sometimes we can go a bit too heavy on the adjectives and adverbs and they don't really add value to what we're trying to say. Uh, particularly things like very and oh, really. Yes. yes. I, I'm, an, I'm an absolute, like very is a massive issue for me. I have to go back with my second draft. I'm always removing berries and putting in a better word. Yeah, always. absolutely. Very yeah. is a is a is a killer. Switch to the active voice. So so important. Um, number five, be positive. So, so what did I read just yesterday? And I was editing it, and I was thinking, why did you say that? It was something like he was not unknown to the community. <laughs> I, 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 I can't remember exactly, but there was it, it was there was no need to have so many negative constructions. So just mm -hmm. be positive. Um, number six, simplify. You don't need to have pompous words or in last week's word of the week, bombastic words. <laughs> um, number seven, this I love because this applies to me totally. Cut the word that. I use that way too much mm. and I that like you have you cut out the word very I go back and I cut the word that mm. so yeah just some really good tips easy tips easy tips we love easy we love easy so just some news in the writing world uh about Scrivener for those people who like Scrivener and I know that's not necessarily everyone but I absolutely love Scrivener and I use it whenever I'm doing long form stuff. I don't use it for my articles but I certainly use it for any long document. Uh, Scrivener is now available as a writing app for iOS Ooh. so you can use it on your iPhone and on your iPad with the same kind of functionality. Now you could actually use it before using a uh, workaround by using simple note, um, but it wasn't, it didn't have the full functionality, but now you can use it on iOS. And, um, so yeah, you can, you can type as you go you, when you're at the cafe or while you're going for that walk or whatever. Mm, so just a little, maybe it's time for me to move move into it. Val. Yeah, maybe. Mm. I think so. You won't regret it. Gosh, I tell you, well, that'll be newsworthy if I ever actually do get round to it, won't I? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what have you been doing this week, Al? Well, <laughs> yes. So let's talk about our giveaway this week. Our giveaway is the our fa fabulous five book pack, and I encourage you to enter. This book pack is going off, and you can enter at writercenter.com.au slash win, and here are the books that you can win all in one go. Rosetta by Alexandra Joel, Lady Helen and the Dark Days Club by Alison Goodman, The Japanese Lover by Isabel Allende, The Beekeeper's Secret by Josephine Moon, and A Girl's Best Friend by Lindsay Kelk. And you can win all five of them in one wonderful pack at writercentre.com.au slash win. Entries close Monday, the 1st of August. But if you're listening to this podcast in the future, don't worry, there will be another competition and um, wonderful prizes for you to win at the same URL. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre, a world leader in writing courses. Our course, Inside Publishing, gives you a peek inside the complex world of publishing. Created by author of more than 30 books, Pamela Freeman, who also writes as Pamela Hart, the course gives you a step-by-step -step guide on everything you need to know about the publishing process and how this should affect your writing, pitching and submissions. It's essential information if you want to navigate the publishing world and get the best chance for your book success. 
You'll learn about the copyright issues that will affect you, what territories you need to negotiate for, and how ebooks and audiobooks will impact your income. You'll also discover whether indie publishing or traditional publishing is better for your goals. With our on demand courses, you can learn in your own time with 12 months access to all course materials. Find out more at writerscentercomau publishing. Okay, let's move on to the word of the week this week. Are you, right. Are you let's. ready? Are you ready? I'm so ready. I've <laughs> never been more ready. Have you heard the word stentorian? You know what? No, I haven't. So stentorian, S-T-E-N-T-O-R-I-A-N, stentorian. That It comes from Greek mythology and a stentor was a herald with a loud voice, someone who announced things probably. So the word stentorian is used to describe a loud voice or a loud sound. So you might say that when Darth Vader uh, was angry, he expressed this in stentorian tones or Mm -hmm. she barged through the door in a stentorian manner. So there you go, stentorian. So does does it also come with the notion of sort of authority or is it, you know, because, you know, my Mr Nine has the loudest voice in the whole world. Mm. Would he be stentorian? If he said something in a loud voice, Mm. yes. Right. Okay. There you go. Depends on the context, obviously. Obviously, but Mm. still, excellent. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to say to him, would you stop being so stentorian? It's all, it's like an announcement. As, as opposed a, to a, you know, just a shriek. Yeah. Right. Okay. So what's happening in the world of blogs, Al? Oh, well, I just wanted to bring everyone's attention to a rather fabulous blog for authors, which is called Author News, and it's the Penguin Random House blog. Uh, so it's at um, authornews.penguinrandomhouse.com. And it is always um, a really good source of terrific advice for authors who are submitting, who are writing, who are who, who want to be published. Mm-hmm. And the reason I um, thought of it this week to discuss was that they ran a terrific little post last week called What Our Editors Look For on an Opening Page. Now, if you want inside advice on what editors and publishers are looking for it doesn't get much closer than than this Mm. um so they talk about they actually go through what you know there are several editors talking and they're discussing or writing and they're discussing exactly what they want to see on an opening page of a manuscript that will make them read on and that's the kind of thing that obviously you know if you are an aspiring author this you know you want to be published this is the kind of stuff that you actually need to know so um they talk about the fact that you know their editors are tasked with recognizing great books quickly and so they're looking for lots of different things throughout a manuscript but they actually asked a variety of penguin random house editors what they like to see on an opening page and i'll just run you through a couple of them one of them is a powerful opener Mm. um and the power of the opening line or paragraph cannot be overstated, um, which is something that I think a lot of people get really hung up on when they're writing their manuscript. They spend an awful lot of time trying to write that opening line, trying to write that opening paragraph and things like that. And um, my tip for that, for creating a really great opener, is actually to write the whole manuscript and then go back to it. Because once you understand the whole story, once the whole story has spread itself out before you, writing that opening line can be a lot easier. Yes. Um, so don't spend months and months and months on that one sentence without, you know, finishing the rest of the manuscript. Yep. But go back and, and get it right at that point. The other thing they're looking for or another thing they're looking for is a unique perspective. Um, so mm. I guess this is quite an interesting thing is, you know, what is the one thing that this book does better than any other book? And I guess that that perspective comes through with your voice the point of view that you choose. Um, and they actually mention uh, a book here called How to Be Both by an author called Ali Smith mm. where they actually published two versions of the book oh. simultaneously with completely different first pages, oh. which then, of course, created two distinctly different reading experiences, which is a really interesting idea. I, 
I don't know. Um, as a, as an author, I think it's a really brave and interesting yeah. thing to do. Yeah, really interesting. Um, and then other things they're looking for, obviously, are a well-realised world. They want to know exactly where they are right from the start of your story and they need to know that in the opening page. And, of course, authentic voice. Yeah, for sure. They need a voice that is fresh and new. So, anyway, it's worth having a read of this article just to get, you know, an inside look at what um, – at what the editors are looking for, but the whole blog at authornews.penguinrandomhouse.com is is a is a great treasure trove of Excellent. information. Yeah. Yes. All right. So tell us who our writer in residence is this week. Ah, our writer in residence this week is Nova Wheatman, and I, I met Nova a couple of years ago when I went to Somerset Children's Literary Festival, oh, yes. and she has um, several books out in the marketplace. She wrote the mostly the first couple that she wrote were YA, but this new book that she's written is definitely aimed at middle grade readers, and it's a um, it's an interesting one because she's taking on quite a big issue here and presenting it in a way that children um, can relate to it. Now, my Mr. 12 has read the book and enjoyed it, um, but it's uh, it was quite an interesting chat that I had with her. And she also writes uh, screenplays. So we had a great chat about um, writing for children, writing for young adults, how writing for children is different from writing for young adults, and we also talked about screenplays. So it was a really good talk. I hope you guys enjoy it. Nova Wheatman has been writing for 18 years as a screenwriter on everything from short films to Neighbours, as a writer of short fiction and non-fiction published in Overland, Kill Your Darlings and Fairfax Media, to name a few, and as the author of two middle grade books and two YA novels. Her latest work, The Secrets We Keep, is a middle grade novel and is her fifth book. Welcome to the program, Nova. Thank you, Alison. Did you like my intro? Sounded all right. I did. I loved it. All right, so let's start with the screenwriting thing. How did you become a screenwriter in the first place? Oh, how did I become a screenwriter? Um, I was at uni studying psychology because my parents were horrified that I wanted to be a writer and they wanted me to have a, a backup career. Oh, yes. And a friend of mine came to me and said, write me a short film because you're the only writer I know and I want to put it in for funding. <laughs> so I did. And ironically, we got the money and found ourselves on the Eastern Freeway in the middle of the night with stunt drivers and safety officers and shooting a short film. Very exciting way to start your career at the age of 21. That's hilarious. But did you not think, like, did you know how to go about writing a screenplay? How did you teach yourself to do that? I had absolutely no idea at all. So I borrowed a book. (laughs) (laughs) What book did you borrow? Tell us. I can't even remember. It's like 20 years ago. But I just borrowed some books and basically sort of threw threw myself into it and went, I can write a screenplay. It can't be that hard. It's a bit of dialogue, a bit of big print. But you look back at it now, and it's quite amazing because it's so, it's so sort of floral. It's so overwritten as a screenplay. You know, it's so that all the big prints, beautiful sounding, like someone actually would want to read it as a piece of work, which of course never happens. No one wants to read your screenplays as a piece of writing. So I clearly had no idea what I was doing, but it worked as a film. So, yeah. And so that was the beginning of your screenwriting career, your first film. Yes, basically. And then that, so that went on and screened on TV. SBS, I think, put money into it as well. So that sort of screened on television. And then as a result of that, I started working at Neighbours as a writer. At Neighbours. So you wrote one short film and then there you were at Neighbours. I wrote one short film and then I wrote another short film. But I was writing for Neighbours. Yeah, so I got some work on Neighbours. And that was a really good way to learn how to write quickly and without any sort of preciousness. And I think that actually is a really good um, sort of training ground for a young screenwriter, just to go, oh, my God, people are just going to change whatever they like and I have no real control over that. And that's that's kind of a good thing, I think. Mm. But it's also really quick from the point of, from the time when you write the first script to when it ends up on air, um, it's a much faster process than writing film, obviously. So that's quite, that was quite exciting for me to kind of know all my work is on television and everyone's very excited about that because it's they can sort of see that you're actually doing something that they that is measurable unlike short film that no one really cares about (laughs) and the question we must ask at this point is did you finish the degree Nova I did I I did finish my psychology degree and uh then I did a postgrad in creative writing and editing so oh there you go (laughs) 
and you became yeah. the writer that your parents never wanted you to be. <laughs> I think they, I think they were okay with me becoming a writer as long as they, they they just thought I needed some sort of backup. But the irony is, you you don't you don't go on and do masters in psychology when you're 22, and now it's too late. So I could never actually use it for anything anyway, other than you know sort of pretending that I knew what people were thinking, which was always very fun at parties. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so then how did you then transition from screenwriting work to novels? Like, what made you go, I'm going to write a novel? Uh, okay, so I was writing, I worked on H2O as a storyliner, which every teenager I tell that to is so excited about because they clearly love that original mermaid series. So I was working on that, and then I wrote a lot of kids' animation. Right. And I was writing my own feature films and trying to get them made and documentaries and whatnot. And I loved all of that. And I started developing a TV series called Dark Pines which with a friend of mine, which came very close to getting made. It was for kids. But the problem with making kids TV in Australia is no one will let you make dark, real television. Oh. And I found it very frustrating because what I wanted to write was dark and real. And what we were being told to make was sort of aimed at eight-year-olds. So I decided I'd write a book instead because then I could explore whatever I liked. So okay. I wrote Haunting of Lily Frost. All right. And so, so where, 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 how long ago was that that you sort of started that process? Um, that was probably about maybe, maybe six years ago. Um, and I wrote the first draft. And because I'd never written – I'd written two adult novels. Mm. Um, which had sort of got close to being published and then didn't get published, but I'd never written a YA novel before. And I wrote, because it was a genre book, it sort of has to be scary. It has to have some sort of drama in it. Mm. And I wrote this first draft and it was really boring and really dull and had no kind of, um, no story arc to it at all. So I took all the elements and wrote it the way I would write a film and plotted it the way I would write a plot of film. And then it suddenly had a sort of structure that worked as a ghost story. Um, Okay, so so the screenwriting background for you was a help rather than a hindrance when it came to writing novels? Definitely, yeah. And it, because of the plot aspect, is that...? I think because of the plot and also I think it makes you really appealing to publishers because you're not... Because you're really used to editing, you're really used to rewriting, you're really used to being... Up to having other people have a say over your work and so you're not possibly as precious as you would be had you not come through that... It's sort of like you're blooded, really, when you're a TV writer. Like mm, You've been bashed you, around the head a few times. Yeah, and, yeah, you have. And you really have to have um, no, sort of no ego, almost. And I was just so grateful that someone wanted to publish my book. They could have done anything with it, really, <laughs> to be honest. Write it. I don't mind. Yeah, do what you like. <laughs> Change my name. I don't really mind. Um, yeah, so I think, no, I think it was definitely, it was definitely a help having written TV and film when you're writing a genre book because it does have to be a really kind of big narrative arc. So okay. that definitely helped, yeah. So how long did it take from sort of, you know, from that initial, right, I, I can't get this made as, a, as TV, I'm going to write a novel, from that moment to the actual, you know, published book? Um, so I think I'd written a draft and then I saw that Cameron's, the agency in Sydney, were looking for new YA writers to take on and so I sent them a really early draft and it okay. was shabby it was pretty rough but they liked it they saw something in it and so they signed me on and shopped it and UQP were yeah took it on took it on on the basis of that and it I definitely rewrote I probably did four drafts from that process mm -hmm. so it was probably maybe 18 months between when Cameron's took me on and when it came out okay all right, so now I was a little bit interested to learn because, you know, I had, uh, we met at Somerset la uh, last year, was that last year? Yep. Was it only yep. last year, last that year. moment yeah. in our lives? Um, I and I, I knew that you had written um, a couple of novels at that point, but I, I thought that The Secrets We Keep, which is your new novel, was actually your third book, but it's actually your fifth. So I was interested to learn that you had two books in the Choose Your Own Ever After series, which is a middle grade series. Um, how did you come to be involved in that series? Oh, I think what happened was Hardy Grant had been interested in Lily Frost, but there'd been kind of a muck-up in terms of... I didn't know how interested they were, and so I emailed the publisher and said, you know, I'd really love to do a book with you guys, and it just happened that they were looking at developing a series, the Choose Your Own series, and they felt like my, my writing, even though I'm writing YA sometimes, it sits quite young, I think, in the YA category. It's not it's not older YA. It's quite young, close yeah. to middle grade kind of voice. Yeah. Um, so they felt like I could probably write um, 
the, one of the Choose Your Own books. So I had to come up with a structure. And that, again, was where television really helped, having yeah. written TV. Yeah. They are such hard books to write. They are so structured. Yeah. And I think if you're if you're coming from like sort of storylining television, it just makes sense to you to have all these options that all tie up neatly. It's yeah. sort of the way your brain works, it sort of fits. Yeah. And I had to pitch so I had to pitch a story to them that they felt would work and I did and I was writing that first Choose Your Own, uh, Hot Cold Summer, at the same time I was doing Louis Frost. So it was oh, a right. weird process working with two really different publishing houses and two really different editing processes. And it was really good, actually. It was a really fun, yeah, it's a really fun time. Well, how did you manage that then? Were you, did, you, did you keep them completely separate? Like today I'm going to work on this one and then tomorrow I'll do that one? Or did you mix it up more? How did, how did you manage the, the two different projects at the same time? Um, I think because they're such different processes and such different projects, I would sort of, although I do, I, I get, I think I get really bored working on something and I quite like having a lot of things on the go at the same time. So mm. I'd work on Lily Frost until I was bored with it and then I'd go to Hot Cold Summer and then I'd do sort of back and forth. Yeah. And Hot Cold Summer, because of the way you write a choose your own, it's, it's very chapter driven and very kind of almost episodic. Yeah. So you could, you could write one story through and then sort of finish that that sort of whole storyline and then actually have to do the next one the next day. It kind of has quite a natural rhythm to it, the way you write it, I think. Mm. Yeah. It's, a, it's an interesting process. I, don't, I was trying to think, I'm sitting here trying to think how I would go about writing one of those and I, I don't know. <laughs> no, they're good, but they're really fun. Like they're weirdly fun to write because you get to, and especially the way those ones are structured because they're, they're not, they've only got eight endings. They haven't got, you know, some of the Choose Your Owns have a lot of endings, so you don't actually get into the story enough, but mm. these ones are written with quite a lot of story in each of the storylines. Wow. Um, so you get to develop all the characters and all the story threads, and you get to play out all those choices that you wanted to make when you were that age, you know. Yeah, which yeah. boy do you choose? Which party do you choose? Like, I loved all that stuff. So. Yeah, well, I, mean, I could hear that in you. <laughs> It just sounds know, like too, I still love it. It sounds like too many decisions for me. I'd be I'd be like paralyzed. No, <laughs> so it's super fun. And it was really light. Like it was really nice writing something light and fun and really I don't know, playful, I guess. Like, yeah, I guess and, when you and, when yeah. you're when you're contrasting that with the haunting of Lily Frost, it's sort of like yeah. a bit of a, a break for your brain, isn't it? Yeah, mm. and it's emotional. It's like it's kind of playing in that emotional space, which is really nice for that age group, I think. Mm. Yeah. All right. So you've got the two YA books, which is the Haunting of Lily Frost, which came out in 2014, and Frankie and Jolie, which came out in 2015. Uh, yeah. Both of those young adult. And now with the secrets we keep, you're back in that middle grade territory. Now you talked about the fact that your voice you was probably at the lower end of the YA sort of you know yeah. spectrum. But how, as a writer, how would you describe the differences between writing for those two age groups? Like what what are the things that you keep in mind when you're you know setting out to write a middle grade versus a YA novel? Uh, I think when I was writing the secrets we keep, it felt very much like it was. Um, first person, um, really immediate voice, uh, kind of despite the fact that there's a lot of secrets in the story, I, I found her very, she's a, quite a transparent character in some ways. Mm -hmm. um, she's upfront, she's, she's honest to a point, I think, whereas when I'm writing YA, there's much more room for, um, oh, I guess, sort of layers to the, to the voice. The writing middle grade just feels much more honest, I think. Mm. So more of a straightforward sort of Yeah, I guess style more of straightforward writing. more straightforward emotionally, so mm. and and less sort of cluttered. Like just a just a much sort of more straightforward through line, I think, to the sort of story and the and the way the characters think about things. Are you having to think about language choices and are you you know, is is that sort of stuff a is that a a um so what I want a concern for you, or is it, you know, do you just you you know you're using the what you consider to be the right word, no matter what you're writing? Yeah, I didn't think about it with this book at all. I just wrote, um, and the secrets was actually the easiest book I've written. In I wrote it really the first draft really quickly, and then I only really wrote a second draft. I didn't, um, I didn't write. I often write heaps of drafts with YA, but this book was really quick to write, and I think the voice just came really easily. The character came really quickly. My 11-year-old daughter had quite a hand in the kind of emotional storyline mm. of the character. 
So it just felt like it worked um, really simply for me. And maybe it is my natural voice. Maybe that's my natural age group that I like writing for. Mm. Um, but I think uh, I've been really surprised by how sophisticated that 10-plus readership is when they're reading. And I think they can read, you know, really complicated emotional storylines and get it. So I, I didn't certainly didn't look at making it simpler or, yeah... So uh, just uh, just tell us a little bit about The Secrets We Keep because I do sense um, that it's quite a personal novel for you. Yeah, it is. Um, it's, so it's about uh, a, 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 the character of Clem Timmons whose mother essentially has depression and burns the family house down. Um, that, that obviously didn't happen. I didn't burn a house down. And <laughs> I haven't had depression, but my partner did. And so it was written very much for... Um, because I felt like my kids didn't have a way into understanding what depression was and how how it affects a family. So mm. I, I wrote it with my daughter and she had a very big hand in telling me how Clem felt about having a mother with depression. Oh, okay. Um, it wasn't actually, I didn't actually write it with any real expectation that it would be published. It was more an exercise for the two of us to work through what was going on in our house. Mm. And then it just worked as a story really naturally. So, Yeah, it was interesting because uh, you did acknowledge your daughter in the acknowledgements as being a, a driving force in the book and also in just, you know, even that sense of just asking for the next chapter and, and, and you know, keeping the project on track and getting it done. Yeah. Um, so it, it's obviously was it, it was just like an important and personal project for the two of you to do together. It was – so it was at the heart, at the kind of height of when my partner's um, – depression was happening mm. and I would go to the office and I would write during the day and I'd come home every night and my daughter would read the two or three thousand words I'd read written that day and she it was I think just a really good way for her to go this is what Clem's feeling because she was I think struggling with being able to say what she was feeling about the whole thing because it yeah. was so hard for her to say you know I'm furious at dad or I'm hurt or I'm angry or I you know I wish he wasn't here or whatever those feelings were yeah. she didn't feel she felt dishonest I think naming those feelings herself, but she could definitely talk about them from the perspective of Clem. Yeah. And so I think it was really great for her. It was really great for the two of us, I think, just to have this project that was something outside what was going on in the house. Mm. Um, yeah. So I can feel your psychology degree coming through here. I know. <laughs> <laughs> See, everything See, it is, all folds back in, it doesn't does. it? does. Everything is useful. <laughs> All right, so maybe tell us a little bit about your writing process. Like, what, what does a typical day look like for you? Oh, um, uh, okay, so my studio is between my house and the kids' school, so I take the kids to school and I walk back and I go, I get a coffee and then I go upstairs to the studio and I generally just write like for six hours. And oh, so you've got a separate space to go to. I've got a separate space and it is fantastic and there's probably 20 or 30 filmmakers, writers, artists in this big space. Wow. Everyone's really diligent. No one talks much. Everyone's working a lot. It kind of makes you feel like you have to do stuff. Wow. And you <laughs> go there great. six hours a day and write. I go, yeah, I go there pretty much every day. And I write, yeah, I write either during school hours or if my kids are getting picked up by my partner, then I'll work longer. So, okay. But it's certainly changed how much I work, like having a separate space. It's really good. And are you working on, are you always working on multiple projects or are you working on, you know, like, what, like for instance, what are you working on at the moment? I've got another YA coming out in October. Mm. So I've been doing that. And weirdly, it's based on the short film that I wrote, the first short film project I wrote. Oh, about, so that, that project is about two boys, two teenage boys who throw a rock off a freeway overpass and it hits a car. Oh. And Christina Schultz at UQP heard me talk about that at Somerset last year and she said, I want that book. Mm, I so, want that book too. Uh, yeah, so that's what I'm doing and it's what I've done with it and it's been a hellish project because I've decided to run it backwards. So it starts at the end oh. with one of them in prison and it runs back through the four months that led them to this, you know, this end, I suppose, oh. to the beginning. And it's been... I've never, I'm not good at structure. It's been the hardest thing I've ever done in terms of structure. And it's because it's two boy voices. It's not, it's not, they're not, you know, so it's been a big learning curve for me to write boy protagonists, I think. When you say you're not good at structure, in, in, <laughs> I'm finding that it's like, you know, because you know, we talked about the fact that you, what, what, which aspects of structure do you struggle with? 
I think I struggle with um, that the big picture stuff. I'm really, I really, what I love about writing is the small moments, and I right. think um, big story arc stuff, which is I think why I rely so often on like sort of filmic techniques. I get really bogged down in um, trying to understand it and trying to see it, the big picture. I just, my brain doesn't think like that. It all thinks in little tiny moments. And so it's writing a story that ran backwards with two protagonists and alternating voices where they had to keep crisscrossing each other. It was just, I had maps all over the office and I would, I rewrote that book like 13 times and that just doesn't, it just is such a hard thing for me to get my head around. So... And yeah. how did you, so you said that the diff, the boy, because obviously, you know, most of your um, narrative voices have been girls. Yeah. How did you go about sort of capturing that boy voice and to get two of them, you two know, of them, distinctively? I know, and, they, and it's so much about their friendship. Like it's about their friendship dissolving the story. It's not so much about what they do, but it's about what they do having an impact on who they are as people. I emailed all the boys I knew, <laughs> boys I knew, and just grilled them about everything they did. And I sent them lots of kind of bits of the story to try and get a sense about whether it was working. I had to learn about skateboarding lingo because there's quite a bit of skateboarding stuff in there. Um, and it was really fascinating because what they talk about is, you know, it's just different, I think, to what my memories of being a 15-year-old girl was. You know, mm. one of them was like, I come home from school every night and I have a bath. And when I'm with my friends, we just talk about skateboarding. We don't talk about... And it was just, it was really interesting to kind of work out what they... Yeah, so hopefully it's worked. I don't know. Were you skulking around skate parks, like eavesdropping? <laughs> no. Because that's what I, I would do. <laughs> yeah, I, I, um, I've got a few friends who've got teenage boys who are massive skateboarders. So, right. But pretty much the words are the same words that we use when we were, you know, hanging out in skate parks in the 80s. <laughs> I hate that much. I don't. Think. I don't. You, still, you still chuck an ollie or whatever it you is. Do you do chuck an ollie, yeah. yeah. <laughs> a person does chuck an ollie, I believe. <laughs> Allegedly, um, so um, all right. So you've got a you've got a novel coming out in October. So you've obviously been editing and doing that. Are you are you still are you working on other things at the moment as well? Like I'm just wondering if you, when you're working on lots of different things, do you um, experience writer's block or do you ever have you know, you know if you go to a studio and write for six hours a day, this is obviously not a thing for you. No, I don't. I um well, I haven't so far been stuck because I think. Um... I think actually the benefit to me for me of writing every day means that I'm not stuck. I think if I spend too much time thinking, I uh, I just discover that I like doing other things and then I get a bit kind of like I, I really need to push through that feeling of, oh, I can't be bothered writing today. And if I do, then I, I'm usually kind of quite surprised by the fact that there's ideas bubbling. Um, I really want to write, I've started writing an adult novel, which will probably take years, but I really want to, I've written a lot of adult short fiction and I'd really like to develop something in that, you know, in an adult kind of, yeah, voice. Mm. Um, and, I want, and I'm want, and i starting thinking about another middle grade because I've really loved working with that age group. So there's kind of, I've got lots of things. On the go. And, yeah, and I've been doing, I've just written a, a, a um, show about the Chelsea Garden Show for Foxtel, which has been really interesting. I love the Chelsea Garden Show. It was the best project. It was so much fun. It was Do like you know, a one-hour, you know, about Australia's attempt to get a gold medal at the Chelsea Flower Show. Oh, that's fantastic. I love it. I um, um, yeah. When I worked at Homes and Gardens in London back in the 90s, I um, I got to go. We had a stand, and I oh. got to actually be there on the day that the Queen was there and the whole bit. It was very oh. exciting. I, and I was trying to get them to take me, but they were like, we don't really need the writer there, actually. Like, oh, come on. Come on. <laughs> but they wouldn't take me. <laughs> That's hilarious. All right, so uh, now your partner is also a writer, a playwright. Is yes. it difficult having two writers in the house? Uh, no, it's actually really good. And he he's interesting because he doesn't really read. He doesn't um, read? No, he doesn't really. He's not. He doesn't read novels. And mm. so it's, it's always like that thing of going, are you ever going to read my books? But, <laughs> but what is fascinating about him is, and he is really good at big picture narrative, like at that big sort of structural stuff. And quite often I'll say to him, this is what I'm doing, what's wrong with it? And he'll be able to fix it through a conversation, often without even reading it. Oh. And he did actually read the backwards book and he fixed it really oh. simply. So he's got a, so he, we do talk quite a bit about, I probably talk to him more than he talks to me, but we do talk quite a bit about story and we do all usually read each other's work. And 
it's good. I think it's just nice because you kind of get how frustrating and weird it is. Yeah, it is weird, isn't it? Yeah, it's a really... And, you know, playwriting. Whew, you think novel writing's crazy in this country? Playwriting's like... <laughs> That's insane. It's like one up from being a poet, I think. You know, it's like that's just so hard. It's so hard. Yeah. Do you, when you start, you know, you're saying that you, you know, you had the idea with the kids. I mean, you obviously started that book from a short film, but do you, do you start with just an idea and start writing or uh, do you use your script writing techniques of, you know, storyboarding the whole thing before you start to, to fill in the pictures? No, I usually write a really bad first draft. Okay, so you just bash no it out. Structure. Yeah, I just bash it out. And I'm really quick. The first draft's always really quick. And I usually have kind of no idea where the story's going. Or I might have a rough idea where I want it to end. But mm. with The Secrets We Keep, I had no idea where that story was going to go. I just started writing it and it just sort of took its own natural shape. Um, I might start with a sort of idea of something that I want to explore. But that, I, yeah, I'm, I write lots of drafts and get closer and closer each time to what it should be. And how do you promote your work? Are you doing a lot of school visits or, you know, are you online? I mean, you know, you're obviously writing a lot. So when when and how do you fit in the um, the other aspect of an authorial life? It's really hard, isn't it? You it think is. You spend so much of your time <laughs> it is. doing... I've done lots of school visits the last couple of weeks and I did... I, I went and spoke last night to a middle grade book club who'd studied my book at a bookshop and it was just one of those things where I was like, oh, I can't be bothered doing this. And then I got there and these kids, so it was grade fours to sixes and they'd all read Secrets We Keep and it was boys and girls and their take on it was just so beautiful. It was one of those things where you go, oh, this is why I'm doing this. That's right. I forgot Mm. that there was a reason to all of this craziness. Mm. So lots of school visits that take an awful lot of time to prepare. But um, yeah, they're good, aren't they? School visits, I think. Oh, they're great. Yeah, yeah, they're really good. Yeah. Um, do you do much, uh, you know, sort of, you know, are you looking at, are you sort of, you know, tweeting or doing Facebook or are you doing any <laughs> author platform stuff, Nova? I'm not very good at all of that, am I, Alison? Well, I, would say <laughs> I do tweet a lot, but I'm not particularly good at it. I, um... You've come on significantly since we first met. <laughs> Wouldn't you say? Yeah, I thought I should try and I, I actually I, from, from my my Twitter world seems to be sort of better at actually sort of making friends with other children's writers than it does speaking to anyone other than that. But um, but that's half am, the thing with Twitter is the networking aspect and yeah. supporting each other's work and you know all yeah. of that sort of thing. I think that's I am trying. Valuable. I'm trying to be better at that, but I, it's not a natural. I don't find it naturally kind of easy. So. Is it something that your publisher likes you to do? think they mind uh, either way no I don't think so I think they like I mean I, I, I yeah I've got quite a good few good contacts down here with bookshops so I do quite a bit of that sort of stuff oh great um but I probably could be doing more you know I'm not very good at sort of going around and signing books in all the bookshops and stuff like that I, <coughs> I get really embarrassed by all of that stuff and I know I have to be better at that but it's not doesn't come naturally okay so it's on the to-do list, must, must <laughs> do better. Yeah. Yeah, must do better. Yeah. <laughs> must do better, okay. All right, now um, uh, we will finish up our interview for today. We could chat all day, but uh, we probably don't need to, to make this into a four-and-a-half-hour podcast. Um, so we finish up with our um, the last question I ask everyone, which is what would your top three tips for aspiring writers be? And now you're wishing I'd warned you about this, aren't you? Yeah. I, know, I, I think I reckon like the, the, the sort of old favourite is try and write every day because I mm. actually think, you know, it is a craft and it is a skill and it is something that improves the more you do it. As mm-hmm. much as you think you're good at it to start out with, you realise how far you've come a few books down the track. Yep. Um, understand that you will write and you will rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and that is okay. It's not a bad thing. That's a good thing because it's just going to get better and better. Just on that, how do you know when you're done though? If you're rewriting and rewriting and rewriting, like you were saying you've done 13 drafts of your current work, yeah. how do you know when you when when the draft is ready? Um, I, I really believe that you can read you can read something, and if you're honest about 
if you're honest with yourself about it and not just being lazy, because I think I think I used to be really lazy and I think I used to be quite arrogant and think I could just bang it out in a couple of drafts. Mm. And I've now learned that I can read a book and go my my work and just sort of look at it really critically and say, does this feel like it's holding together and making sense of all the things that I want it to make mm. sense of? I, mm. I think I can be quite critical and quite honest with myself. And with this one, I definitely knew up until that last draft, that it just wasn't right. Okay. And now it feels like it's at least in a space where it can go to an editor. You know, and there's still going to be changes. <laughs> and but at least, do it again. At least, it's, at least I've been able to hand it over, which has been really nice. So, All right. So that's your... So you've got two tips. One. Yeah, what's your third uh, tip? My third tip is uh, don't be afraid. Just be try and be fearless. I think that's the best thing about getting older. It's just I feel much more fearless as a writer and publicly doing speaking and all of that sort of stuff. I just feel like I can... Don't don't think about who's going to read it. Just write the best story that you can. And don't be afraid of reviews or readers or anything. Just write it for you, maybe. Oh, that's not a very good tip, but anyway, sorry. <laughs> no, I, I think don't be afraid is an excellent tip. I, yep. it's, a, it's a really good one because I think that sometimes self-consciousness and fear of what other people are going to think and... All of those sorts of things hold us back from being completely honest. And I think, yep. as you say, like complete honesty when you're writing things about what you really think about stuff is probably going to bring your voice out a lot more than yep. if you're trying to hold back. Yeah, definitely. Excellent tips. Thank you very much for your time today, Nova. Um, we really appreciate it. And best of luck with... Um, with the new book, which you told me earlier has just gone to reprint, which is fantastic news. So congratulations on that. Good. Very Thank exciting. You. And, um, yes, we'll um, hopefully we'll be seeing it um, a lot more. Thanks. All right. Excellent. Take care. <laughs> Bye. Wow, great interview, Al. I love the – I mean, imagine coming up with that premise – well, you know, she's she's writing from a place of, you know, a family experience. So yeah. it was quite an interesting thing, and and I, I like the fact that she, you know, her daughter was involved in the re, in the writing mm. of this from the perspective she read the chapters to her as yep. as they went along, and she even sort of thanks her daughter in the acknowledgements to say she wouldn't have finished it without her. So it was, you know, it was quite interesting. I I, I think there's a lot of families out there who who are, you know, experiencing this. They're living with someone mm. who has depression and, and it's a it's a it's a debilitating thing for the person um who's experiencing it and it also has impact on everyone around them. So um I think the fact that she, you know, managed to make it into such a an entertaining read for kids, because as I said, Mr. Twelve read it, he read it right to the end. He found it really interesting. There was a bit of a mystery at the heart of it, yeah. which I think keeps kid going and it's quite a um it's quite a good interesting plot device that she's done which that she's used there and yeah. I think it's a, a really interesting story and it's it's been really well received which I think is um uh another you know another big plus so big tick for Nova yeah fantastic all right let's move on to our app pick for the week now this week's app pick was actually sent in to us by mm. freelance writer and journalist and aspiring author Hannah Davison and she has said the this is the ultimate working parent hack now we all know that when you're a working parent it's kind of sometimes difficult to get enough sleep Mm. You probably experienced mm. that, Al. I well, do. she has done, Hannah has done a review of an app called the Sleep Well Hypnosis Pro app. <laughs> now, we'll put a link to the review in the show notes, which you can find at so you want to be a writer.com.au. But basically, Hannah is saying that this Sleep Well Hypnosis Pro app. <laughs> really does work and she has had two of the deepest sleeps than she, that she can remember. Oh. Yeah. So okay. she says she's still sort of trialling it but um, so far so good. So there you go. If All anyone right. has trouble sleeping, then uh, try the Sleep Well Hypnosis Pro app. <laughs> Maybe they could have thought of an easier name but anyway. Okay. Let's move on to our platform building tip this week, which comes from none other than the very clever Anne R. Allen uh, with Ruth Harris. Yes. <laughs> but this particular blog post is by Anne R. Allen. And I really like it. 
tips. It's called Six Tips for Getting More Traffic on Your Author Blog. And Anne makes this absolutely fantastic point, which is a lot of people who are writing author blogs, you know, they go and read things on how to um, uh, increase their readership and get more eyeballs and how do they monetize and how they can sell products and stuff like that. But all one of the things that Anne says is please don't. Don't mm. go off and try to follow all those rules for monetized blogs, you know, the mm. ones that take ads and stuff like that. <clears throat> monetized blogs have a different purpose from author blogs. They are all about the hard sell, whereas an author blog is about making friends. I yes. love that distinction. Yes, and it's so true. So true. So Anne has six tips uh, and they include visit and comment on other author blogs. Mm-hmm. Very straightforward. Mm-hmm. Write a guest blog posts. Now, of course, you can read, Anne fleshes this out more in her post, which you can read later if you're interested, but these are the highlights. Also, learn some blogging do's and don'ts, and they're pretty straightforward, and she's, um, they include things like, you know, um, write, don't do write stuff that's of interest to readers you want to attract. Mm. Makes sense, right? Mm. (laughs) Do make sure that it's interesting. Don't use an author blog as a personal journal of your emotional ups and downs, (laughs) particularly if you want to say, oh, I don't want to put myself out there. Um, She also says, learn to write write web content. So it's different. You, the way you write on your, the website, on your author blog, is different to the way you would write fiction, obviously. Mm. Important one, post regularly. I mean, I was talking to somebody who was writing a blog yesterday and she was saying, yeah, it's not quite getting traction. And I, and I looked at it and I said, you've had two posts since Christmas. <laughs> like, really? Oh, yeah. Okay. Anyway. And finally, she says, "You've got to try for at least weekly. I think, particularly I when you're so. building, when you're building a blog, you have to try for at least weekly, yeah. and if not, three times a week. You know, and I know that sounds ridiculous, but you you need to give re- people a reason to come back, and you need to give mm. yourself something to talk about. You That's- know, the the more you have, the the more content you post on your blog, the more stuff you have to talk about." everywhere else but and you've hit the sorry. nail on the head okay. give reason a, give people a reason to come back yeah and you know in your own behavior you will go back to blogs that you know have fresh content yes 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 and she also says um write grabby blog headers that search engines can understand so mm. yeah very mm. really useful post there it is and uh, really good basics Really good stuff if you are building your author platform. And if you want those sorts of tips that with, you know, a, a whole blueprint on how you can build your own author platform, Alison's course on how to build your author platform mm-hmm. is fantastic. So check it out at writerscenter.com.au slash platform. Now, we're almost at the end of this week's episode, Al. What will you be doing in the coming week? Well, Valerie, I'm actually tweaking my new course, which we are um, now taking pre-interest in. Uh, So Make Time to Write at the Writer's Centre is now available um, for pre-interest. What we're doing basically is if you register your interest now, there's going to be a pre-launch discount on that course. It's all about how to make time to write. It's all the tips and tricks and strategies that I know. It is uh, published and new or um, sort of debut authors, established authors talking about how they do it. And then it's also a 30-day email program, me, in your inbox for mm. 30 days. Um, and if you follow that particular program, I'm calling it a boot camp, but, you know, I'm trying to be polite. Um <laughs> I promise not to shout. Um, it's if you follow that program for thirty days, you will have at least minimum ten thousand words guaranteed, and you know in a month. So it's like write a book with Al, but with a megaphone. Yeah. And, um, and it's an on-demand course, um, and it's going to be we're going to launch that uh, in the second. Well, you know, in the next couple of months. So yeah. that's what I'm doing. I'm just uh, putting the finishing tweaks to that, and uh, really excited about. Um, about launching that in a little while. So you can register your interest at writerscentercomau slash time. 
Yes. And uh, if there's someone who knows how to make time to write, it is Alison Tate. If I mean, I've known Alison for many, many, many years, and I'm always astounded at the amount of writing that she achieves combined with a ridiculously busy life, mm. you know, home life and you, you just juggle so many things. So I know I'm going to learn quite a few things from it myself. So that brings us to the end of this week's episode. What are you doing this week? I am about Tell me you're going to a conference for 20,000 people while I'm going to be sitting at my desk (laughs) editing the map maker for. No 20,000 people. I'm about to get on a plane to Melbourne and I'm working with a client on storytelling in business. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say who the client is yet, but they are uh, a household name. But I will be once I get the all clear. I'll be able to announce it. Uh, yeah, so I'm working with them, and we're doing um, some filming and working with uh, um, a few of uh, a few small businesses to talk about storytelling in business. So that should be fun. Oh, you're so glamorous. <laughs> Have you packed a boa for this? Is this a boa kind of occasion? Oh, I wish I had a boa I could bring. I might wear it on the plane. But where do we find you online, Al? Uh, you'll find me at alisontate.com. You will find me on Twitter at, at altate, A-L-T-A-I-T. And you'll find me on Instagram and Facebook at alisontatewriter. And I have to say, Val, I, I sent out a tweet this week saying I'm having so much fun on Instagram and Valerie Koo is going to say, I told you so. Mm-hmm. And you did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O on Twitter and Instagram. I am the Valerie Koo on Snapchat and just search for Valerie Koo on Facebook and you'll find me there. So do connect with us. We would love to hear from you. And until we chat again next week, have a fantastic week. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.